Jim takes one look at this, looks around the camp, sees all these dead bodies and wounded men, and basically does the sort of, screw you guys, I'm going home. And um, he, describes, he describes what he's doing as taking French leave. <laughs> he, just, he just wanders off. The only thing tying his ship to the place, the land that he currently cannot escape, is a rope. And he's decided that a tactically sound thing to attempt would be to cut it loose and just mix shit up. That's how genius works. <laughs> Welcome <laughs> to Shark Live Royal Part 5, Treasure Island. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. Hello. That was brilliant. That was somehow a combination, Matt, of a pirate, an inefficiently oiled door hinge, and a sort of amorous chihuahua. All in a single noise. That was amazing. I'm so impressed. That was, that was voice acting for the ages. I didn't even know I was going to do it until it came out of my mouth. That is yeah. how off the cuff we are here. That's, that's how genius like, works. Yeah, I thought it kind of sounded like Scooby-Doo doing a pirate sound. But anyway, All that, all that. N- never mind all that. This is the part five of our read-through of Treasure Island. Um, so if you haven't listened to the first four parts, I advise you go back and do that. Um, or you can just jump in here as we uh, move with Jim out onto the open sea. Um, if you want to uh, send in your reviews for next week, sharkliveroyalpodcast at gmail.com is the place to do it. That's sharkliveroyalpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can get us on Twitter at sharkliveroyal. Okay, Dave, shall we jump straight into My Sea Adventure, which is part five? Let's jump directly into your sea adventure, Matt. Feet first. Chapter 22, How I Began My Sea Adventure. So, if you remember, we left the brave Jim Hawkins and his now depleted crew of um, loyalists to um, to their time in the stockade. They're in this sort of hold up in this stockade. They've just fought off an attack from the pirates. Um, luckily for them, there's no return of the pirates after the attack, so the day after. So they have a chance to deal with the wounded. Um, this pirate who got sort of injured by one of the loopholes, he dies under the knife, they say. So the, the doctor tries, to, <laughs> tries once again, tries to save him. Echoes of Billy Bones here, isn't there? And, um, <laughs> and he doesn't make it. Um, That's true. Dr. Livesey is zero for two as far as keeping people alive goes. Which actually, for a doctor back then, maybe that was a fairly good hit rate. Maybe he sits there and he goes, I've got five more deaths before I need to save one. It's fine. It's all right. Don't worry about it. <laughs> well, here comes another hunter. Um, brave hunter. Never regains consciousness. Um, it turns out he had a crushed chest from um, the... Jeez. Uh, I don't know, the power of this pirate, he grabbed his gun, whacked him on the head, whacked him on the chest, and he, he fractured his skull and crushed his chest. Crushed so, um, his chest? Was he was he a cougar without telling anybody? Was this wow. something that happened by, like, by mistake? Because I, I can't imagine how quickly I could send a rifle back into somebody's ribcage in such a way that it would do anything other than bruise a rib or two. Mm. Clearly I'm not a pirate, I suppose, is what we found out here. I'm not a pirate. No, there's only one cougar around here, and that's Trelawney, whenever Jim's hey. around. Oh, um, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> um, the captain is also in a really bad way. Um, he uh, has um, 
he's had a sort of a uh, a wound to his calf and his shoulder blade and um, yeah. the expectation is he won't be able to walk for weeks maybe maybe a month um the the other the other injury is Jim's got a shallow cut in his hand I think he got that when he was picking up his he was that nervous picking up his cutlass yeah and I love that the way he described he doesn't he doesn't put on any bravado any 14 year old bravado about that at all it's like I had the smallest wound the doctor put a plaster on it for me and boxed my ears into the bargain I should love that he was like <laughs> and he was right to do so <laughs> I am useless I kind of got the impression that boxing his ears was a bit of an affectionate thing, like, oh, you're all right, and like, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. go on then, you silly bollocks. Yeah, no, (laughs) absolutely. Yeah, you're right, actually. That's the kind of, he's sort of grinning about it, isn't he, he's 14-year-old. Oh, the the, the bigger boys said that I wasn't terrible. (laughs) Um, The Doctor speaks to uh, Trelawney and the Captain quietly in the corner, and then um, leaves. He he's heading out to find Ben Gunn. I assume armed with his little piece of parmesan as a peace offering, <laughs> and uh, off he goes into the, yeah. into the jungle. Yeah, this is another another weird one, isn't it? Where like the, because of the way the story is told, its characters disappear, and you're not entirely sure if they're gonna have more action with them than the guy you're staying with. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. I, I saw, I saw Livesey go, and I'm like, seems to me like you're going in the direction of all of the plot. <laughs> so why are we still here? <laughs> well, you know what? Jim agrees with you because uh, Jim takes one look at this, looks around the camp, sees all these dead bodies and sort of wounded men, thinks, well, this is all a bit depressing. And basically, does the sort of screw you guys? I'm going home. He, um, <laughs> he, he, he's, he nicks some biscuits and bullets and two guns, and mm. um, he, describe, he describes what he's doing as taking French leave. And he just <laughs> he just wanders off, just leaves. Oh, I mean, again, realistic for a 14 year old, but I love that he's somehow acquired this phrase. You take leave like an Englishman, you ask bloody permission. Take leave like a Frenchman, you just sort of wander off. Bloody French. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he leaves, and um, he like, goes into the trees. He's like, oh, it's quite nice around here. Starts enjoying his walk. It's like, what are you doing, Jim? This is serious. <laughs> yeah, and not for the first time in this section, Matt. I was looking at him going, why are you? Is there? So- Do you not understand that you're in a really dangerous place at the end of a really dangerous journey, surrounded by really dangerous people doing something really dangerous, and now you've decided to go for a walk in the woods? <laughs> After a bit of a stroll, he decides, you know what? I'll, I'll see if I can go and find this boat of Ben's that's knocking about. So he, he starts going towards the the area where Ben said he'd he'd, he'd put this homemade boat. Um, can we do? Can, can we do a moment here and say to rephrase what he's done here is he has indeed taken a moment to go and find the uh, Ben's boat. What he's also done is decide that on an island full of hostile pirates who recently tried to kill him, he's going to go to a very exposed place, painted white so it's very visible, <laughs> and look for something hidden. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much the, the, the yeah. long and short of it. <laughs> I should keep my powder dry for this, though, because this, by comparison with what happens later on, all of these extremely poor tactical decisions count as flipping acts of genius. We'll come to it. We'll come to it. Who was that interrupting then? <laughs> did, someone, did, did someone over there want to make an intervention? 
<laughs> into, into, into my ire. No, Dave, no. Jim Hawkins is a nice young man. <laughs> um, so, yeah, as he's, as he's looking for this boat, you can hear some of the pirates on the Hispaniola. There's a squawk of Captain Flint's parrot. And um, he finds this boat of Ben Gunn's, and it's tiny, and it's it's only just a boat. It's sort of a a, a little, I don't know, a large bowl on the water. <laughs> That's yeah. what I sort of imagined it as. Float, floating bin lid, I think, would be a, would be a good way of putting it. Yeah. But did you did you ever read about these things, coracles, when you were when you were at school? Did they ever tell you about these? No, no, no. So they're basically. I, I don't really know how this idea kind of uh, emerged in the sort of architectural record but they're like they're supposed to be like minuscule boats um mm. that were used in in um, ancient wales and ancient england um which are basically like a wooden frame like whatever sticks you can get together basically with an animal skin pulled around it which are just about big enough for a single human being to sit in and not drown as long as they don't <laughs> move around too much that's that's what it is and and I sort of love that that Ben Gunn's gone like yeah I made this boat it's my ticket off this island, and it's, <laughs> it wouldn't be your ticket off a duck pond you know <laughs> yeah well um Jim quickly devises this new plan he's gonna paddle out in this little coracle and cut the Hispaniola adrift um oh Matt yeah uh, <laughs> I mean it's brave I've got to give him that it's, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and in the same spirit, Matt, did people dis- did did flipping uh, Hugh Laurie's character, whatever his name is, Captain George, decide <laughs> that it was a good idea to climb over the top in Blackadder Goes Forth and walk slowly towards the guns? It's that <laughs> level of tactical stupidity, basically. He's gonna. I mean, let's 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 investigate this. I want to get this off my chest now, otherwise I will be coming out like little spurts of steam throughout the rest of the podcast. <laughs> what he's decided to do, right, is he's decided to paddle out to a ship. Mm. I mean, sorry, yeah. a ship from this era, but to paddle out to a ship to get his knife out and to sever the only thing that's keeping that ship, which is his only route home... <laughs> the only thing tying his ship to the place, the land that he currently cannot escape, is a rope. And he's decided that a tactically sound thing to attempt would be to cut it loose and just mix shit up. Just, <laughs> just let it happen. <laughs> yeah. and, well, if it doesn't come off, I assume it does come off, because things don't become children's classics of literature for you know without a good reason. But if it doesn't come off... This is about to turn into the darkest castaway story you have ever seen. Because he's got to go back to his peeps and be like, guys, I'm sorry, I cut, cut the ship loose. Sorry, Jim, what? Say again, say more clearly. Say, say it broadly, son, you know, be brave. Come on, come on. Well, you know the only way that we're going to get back off of this desert island. Yes, and you know how mental that one lad went that was stranded here. Yes, yes. Well, um... Uh, we might want to get him round and ask him for some tips because I got rid of the boat. Bye! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is treating this boat as if it's something that he, he, he can just, you know, is dispensable. 
Um, which obviously yeah, isn't. The one thing it fucking isn't. This is like <laughs> Neil Armstrong taking a sledgehammer to the lander from Apollo 11. You know, <laughs> the eagle has landed and I don't need it anymore. Smash, smash, <laughs> smash, smash. Bang, crash. <laughs> it's not landing, it's landed. It's done. Yeah, it's, it's landed. <laughs> Past tense. No further input needed. I just have the lad up in orbit, chuck us down a rope. Yeah? Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> So, um, so <laughs> resolved to uh, carry out this plan, he heads out in the boat after dark, taking us to chapter 23, The Ebb Tide Runs. The boat's actually, for a little coracle, quite good. Still a bit temperamental, but let's remember, this has just been built by some bloke on his own on an island. Um, he gets as far as the ship, um, at least has the presence of mind not to cut the rope while it's taut, because it'll... S- like sort of snap back and hit him in the face. So um, so you wait. <laughs> that's that's just about scraping a C grade in this activity, though, isn't it? Like he has recognised the weakness of his plan once he's faced with it, but he's still not questioning the broader flaming idiocy of trying to cut a galleon loose to start with. <laughs> so he's getting ready to cut this rope, and um, he hears. Um, some arguing coming from the um, one of the cabins. So he has a little climb up to have a look, and it's um, it's Israel Hans, this um, this expert gunner, and this guy that we were introduced to in the last chapter, but we didn't really. I don't think we really mentioned him properly because yeah. he was on the he was on the ship at the time. This guy in a red cap. And um, that's his only like defining characteristic is he's got a red cap. He's got a red cap, and he. <laughs> just, it just made me think of Fred Durst. I was going to say that. That's brilliant. Hey, Red Cap, park the car wherever it is that happens at the start of that video. That's it. <laughs> brilliant. So what you're what you're imagining is that Israel Hands, who I don't know, he survives, so he's a bit more badass. Maybe he's like Trent Reznor or something. You know, he's he's the he's the real thing by comparison with Red Cap's pretender. Has had some sort of fisticuffs with. Fred Durst, yo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that really is. Whenever I'm reading anything about this guy now, I'm imagining Israel Hands as a just like a a very dangerous looking rough pirate sailor, like um in a just a t shirt and some you know <laughs> whatever he wears, with his yeah. cutlass and his like little bandana, and then. Literally, literally, Fred Durst from Limp Bizkit on the other side <laughs> with the lo- of his long shorts. Yeah, <laughs> red cap, red cap on backwards, and his little <laughs> his little blonde goatee. Oh, that's that's absolutely that's that's perfect. And they, this now in my mind is one of the great lost fight scenes of Western literature. Can you imagine? <laughs> can you imagine the the actual fight between Fred Durst and a pirate? Do you think he'd stick around? Do you think he'd stick around and like try and spit some rhymes, try and knock him <laughs> off his game with lyrical flow, or would he would he just be like, "I'm going, I'm sorry, bye." <laughs> well, he must be gutted because there's singing coming from the shoreline. Everyone's having a ride old knees up over on the shore. Maybe no rapping though, is there? About. No, there's no like, rapping like, though. He doesn't like it. No, I'm maybe <laughs> saying I've got, I've got to get over there. They're all singing. This is my time, and his <laughs> hands is like, "We've got a, we've got a fucking job to do, Fred. Come on, you can't, you can't just go wandering over there to have a bit of a sing song now. Keep it together. Yeah. I wasn't going to go and have a sing song, actually. Anyway, we don't give a fuck about you because you don't give about my general. Anyway, I'm going to go and have a sing. Um, <laughs> later's 
Yeah. Um, so um, Jim cuts the rope. And then he, he he sort of he climbs up to get a closer look at what's going on on the ship. <laughs> She's just got such a death wish, Jim, hasn't he? And um, this is like, would you, honestly, Matt, at what point in this process did you do, like? Do you depart from this being a reasonable plan? Like, is it reasonable <laughs> for him to paddle over there and then cut the rope? and then climb up the rope in order to board the ship. The only thing he knows about the ship is that there's definitely two bad slags on that ship at the very <laughs> least. Like, is what I, where, where do you check out of this? Are you still, like, on Team Jim at this point? Because I'm beginning to get onto Team Jim Deserves to Drown. Is that harsh of me? <laughs> yeah, that, the, whole, the whole sort of plan is ridiculous, yeah. I'll, I'll agree with you from the, from the start. Um, that yeah, to to try and cut adrift the ship, um, it, yeah, I, I don't I don't see what the the long term plan is here, other than let's just cause some mischief. Um, but you know, maybe in itself, that's um, that's at least he's doing something. Um, yeah. Israel by this stage, Israel Hans and Red Cap have started to fight the wrestling. So, so Red Cap has gone. Bring it on! And they just start jumping on each other. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it on! <laughs> That's amazing. That's fantastic. I just, I just love. He's like, oh yeah. <laughs> just, just time slows down. Camera zooms in on him, and Red Cap fancies a bit of it. It's not going to work. <laughs> Jim leaps back down into the um, into the coracle, and um, he just sort of bobs along, and um, he realizes that he can't really control it very much. As um, as we move on to chapter twenty four, the cruise of the coracle. Jim spends all night on the coracle, just like was lying there because he can't control it. <laughs> he doesn't die <laughs> it's, it's, at any point in this in this part. Is just beyond me. Isn't it brilliant? <laughs> Like, it's just... Yeah, so I lay in the boat, and I stayed alive, and the ship ended up going in roughly the right direction, even though it's being controlled by two people who are actively trying to kill one another. <laughs> I was fine. <laughs> so day rolls round, and he has a look out from his little his little coracle, and he can still see the shoreline, luckily. <laughs> I mean, he could, every chance he just sort of, like, looks out, and all he sees is blue. This <laughs> is, well, shit. Um... <laughs> But yeah, he can still see the shore, so he, he starts paddling towards it. The, his closest point at the moment is a place called uh, Holboline Head, and this is this is he see, he this, he thinks this is too dangerous to land because it's very rocky, and he sees sea lions, um, and he's never seen them before. He describes them as um, soft snails of incredible bigness. It's because of a little bit Donald Trump <laughs> with his uh, yeah, description. <laughs> I would have thought that given his sort of lyrical skill, you know, perhaps even inspired by Red Cap himself, um, he could do better than incredible bigness. But I did like <laughs> I did like the little bit, the little bit of this, which was about what it was like, you know, 300 or so years ago when people were turning up on continents that were new to them and encountering wildlife that was just unbelievably, you know, unpredictable and, and just seemed to be so weird to them. Hmm. Um which which is the only reason why I didn't laugh aloud when I was reading this. Because I do sort of love the idea of turning up, seeing some, seeing like two hundred somethings, taking them for massive snails, and going ah, ah, 
running away to the <laughs> echoing sound of sea lions going or and flapping their flippers together as in sarcastic applause. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he decides he sees these. He thinks I'm not landing there. <laughs> Balls to that, and um, he he floats around a bit further. He wants to land on this place called the Cape of Cape of Woods, um, but he he realizes once again that it's really hard to steer this coracle thing. He, he is literally on in a little place. It's basically a large wooden bowl, and uh, whenever he tries to to steer it too hard, it, it just looks like it's going to tip him in. And I assume he's too far away from the shore to, to make it swim him. So, I, I would um, assume so, but there's no reason that, to prevent him from trying, is it? Given that it, the other things he's decided are worth a crack in the last five <laughs> pages. Yeah, so he, he, he's slowly trying to turn this coracle round. He misses, the, um, he misses the Cape of Woods, and then he rounds the point of the island, and he sees the ship just drifting around. And from the way it's drifting, it's obvious that it's not being steered or manned properly. And it appears deserted. So he heads for the... Uh, he, he, heads he goes for, for the, it. But he, he doesn't really... Luckily, the sh- I mean, it's, it's just, again, his luck is incredible. The ship floats towards him. And he, like, <laughs> he, he, he leaps onto it and climbs aboard. I'm not sure that's luck. Well, leaping onto it and keeping all of your limbs and teeth intact, that's definitely luck. But I'm not sure the ship starting to drift towards you, adrift, necessarily counts as good luck. You know what I mean? Well, there's, there's, there's 360 directions it can, it can drift in, and it's <laughs> got, got in the one that takes it right to him. <laughs> yeah, that's true, but um, that's good if you're going to get on board it. But I'm saying random. you may not want something that size moving without control <laughs> to come quickly towards your teeth, is what I'm saying. That It might feel lucky until it's about six inches away, and then you wake up on a cloud, is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. So, um, chapter 25, I strike the Jolly Roger. He climbs up. The Hispaniola is deserted. Apart from two figures, one's Israel Hans and one's Red Cap, obviously, lying still on the afterdeck. And I just imagined Red Cap, I'm afraid, sort of just this, like, pair of legs <laughs> in some long shorts and trainers. And then you can just see, like, him leaning back and maybe just this little glimpse of his Red Cap. <laughs> <laughs> He's had a big night. Um, he's just he's just kicking back, Matt. He's just taking five. <laughs> yeah, that's just how he says, isn't it? Um, so they both appear they both appear to be dead. Um, there's blood on the deck. It's actually quite a um, leaving aside the whole Fred Durst thing. It's actually quite an atmospheric moment. This isn't it? He just gets on the ship, and there's just these two apparently dead bodies. Um, but just as he thinks they're both definitely dead, Israel hands sort of moves. And um, he's in a, he's alive, but in a really bad way. And he, he just says, "Bring me brandy." So, uh, and Jim does it as well. This is a different. This was another place where I felt I, I was. I, I I heard the voice of George Martin in the back of my head going, "He's going to get dead," <laughs> because because in a George Martin novel, you never have the milk of human kindness for that sort of thing. Somebody who's clearly dying asks you for brandy, and you say, "Fuck off," or even worse. If you're the hound, you go and get brandy and drink it all in front of him, right? That's that's what you do. You don't go, oh, well, you're dying anyway, and I'm clearly going to remain in control of this sticky situation, so off I go to get you a drink. Mm. But well, that's Jim, what he does. Yeah, he's a young gentleman. Yeah, so he heads, heads below deck. The below deck's an absolute mess because the pirates have been at it. 
Um, I think they're they're not the the most appropriate description here is they've uh, they've torn out a load of pages from the doctor's medical book um, to make pre lights. <laughs> um, but it's basically like it's basically like tearing up a medical book to make roaches for your uh, I lo- for your cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do love that. I love, like I because in my head I wasn't thinking they've all got pipes. I was thinking they've they're, they're making roll ups, and so I was like, how have they kept their Rizzlers dry this entire time? And then there's a voice in the back of my head going, Dave, I think you may have misunderstood exactly how long roll ups have been a thing. This is the 1800s. <laughs> You know, <laughs> yeah. Um, so Jim goes into the bit where they keep the booze. He uh, he says there is a most surprising number of bottles drunk. Even he, he was expecting the pirates to get drunk, but even so, he can't yeah. quite believe how much booze they've got through. <laughs> yeah, he says, doesn't he? Something like, um, uh, I, "They can't have been sober from the moment they took control of the ship." And there is something that I really like about that image. You know, they sort of they take control of the ship. And then immediately, not dropping the anchor, not making sure the weapons are taken care of, not getting food or staying out of the sun or anything like that, immediately, to a man, they're like, rum, 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 boomf. And they all end up below decks, absolutely hammered within five minutes. I just thought it was <laughs> glorious. That's You've got to keep up the pirate end of things, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. So he gets uh, Israel Hans' his brandy. Um, he sees that, the, that red cap... If we just take a moment, he's, he's dead. Um, so the king is dead. Um, and uh, Jim basically says to Israel Hans, I'm your captain now, bitch. He stands over him. you got to admire the, his, his balls, haven't you? Absolutely. The bravado of a 14-year-old boy. Like, keeping, you know, you know, being the sort of oh, good, good gentleman about this sort of thing. You know, he kind of comes on board and he wants to be in control, so he doesn't, doesn't have any awkwardness about it. He's just like, I'm in command now. You there, bleeding. Pay attention. I'm the boss. Who's the daddy? I'm the daddy. And then he goes and strikes the colours as well. I just love that. Yeah. But he says... But even the way he does that, he you know he points at the the Jolly Roger, you know this symbol of everything that's screwed up his life in the last 30, 36 hours or whatever, and goes now, Mister Hands, by your leave, I'll remove those colours and throw them away, meaning <laughs> if it's all right with you, rather than sit there and watch me take a piss on your flag, which is what he should do. <laughs> yeah, although I think that the way he says it, I think that's what he's really saying. He's like, that's that's true. Get but- ready. That's coming down, bitch. <laughs> well, and there, and there, Matt, we did, we we show the the clear difference in approach between a young gentleman like Jim Hawkins and an an upstart scrote like myself, who's just like, right, I am pissing on your symbols. That's what I'm doing. I'm not asking you. I'm telling. <laughs> Israel Hans has an offer. He says, look, patch me up, and I'll tell you how to get the Hispaniola back to land. Because you know we're bo- we're both screwed unless. Unless you can get this ship back to land. Um, and Jim says, yeah, but we're going to land on the north inlet, so nowhere near Kid's Anchorage, which is where the pirates are, obviously. <laughs> and uh, Israel Hans is like, yeah, yeah, whatever. He bandages his, um, his thigh cut, and he craftily watches Jim. So it just gives us that little sense of yeah. disquiet again um, at the end of this chapter. Yeah. Chapter 26, Israel Hans. So um, they're waiting to come into the, to shore. They've obviously no anchor because some idiot <laughs> chopped it off and cut them adrift. Which knobhead did that? Which knobhead <laughs> made the only way home something that could just float off without warning? 
I wonder. So, the, <laughs> so they've got to beach the ship. Um, Israel Hans asks Jim to throw Red Cap overboard because it's a bit creepy that there's just this dead dude just lying there. Um, and Jim decides not to do that just yet. And then um, Hans says, oh, can you go and get me some wine? And Jim, and Jim, to his credit, immediately sees this for the um, transparent attempt to get Jim back turned that it is. But he's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll go get your wine. And then, like, goes below deck, but sneaks back up another way to watch what Israel Hans is doing. Yeah, yeah. And to his credit, this is a smart thing to do. You know, yeah. he goes, he goes, goes away and says, "Oh, I'll get it for you, but it'll take me a long time." <laughs> clatter, 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 and then sort of like does the thing where he goes out and kind of and peeks out at him. This tactically solid, strategically bollocks. Still, Jim, you mm. should not be aboard this ship, but tactically flawless. Yeah, and Israel Hans does that thing of it's almost like. You know, when someone pulls a sickie from work, like as soon as he's off the phone, he's like he almost gets <laughs> up and stretches and wanders yeah. over, yeah. picks up this knife, wanders back and sits down again. So Jim, by observing this, can see A, he's now armed and means to kill him. Yeah. And B, um, the guy can move a lot better than he's letting on, which is important for him to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jim thinks that even though this is the case, that he wants to kill him. It, Israel Hans won't do that until the schooner's beached because he needs Jim to get the the, sco- the to get the ship to land. Yeah, I mean, again, um, solid solid tactical understanding. Yeah, uh, Jim tells um, he goes back to Israel Hans. He tells him to pray for his sins, and um, Jim's really pissed off because he's like, "You bastard! You're um, <laughs> you're sneakily hiding this knife. I'm trying to help you. You really are the worst person in the world." Yeah, yeah, um, totally. Israel Hans has this little defense of being a bastard. He says, um, you know, no goodness. I've, I've, he basically says, I've been around a long time. You know, I've seen that no good, no good ever comes of goodness. And, um, and, and, and the sort of the best way to live your life is strike first because dead men don't bite. Now, we're, now we are solidly back on George R. R. Martin territory, this. In fact, that is a more succinct... A statement of the worldview behind a, a, a Game of Thrones, A Song of Ice and Fire, than anything that any character in that series has ever actually said. I've never mm. seen any good come of goodness. Um, I think the counter-argument to that would be that might be because you've hung out with pirates for all your life. <laughs> but <laughs> but it is a good little kind of moment of darkness, isn't it? Like if you were trying to get Jim to sort of question his unquestioning you know, I'm going to be a good guy because, of course, I'm going to be a good guy because I'm a good guy. This mm. would be a great way to do it. Yeah, yeah. And he's just lucky, Jim, that um, in this world, the power structure works properly because all the people who have the power seem to be quite nice, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, that is one of the strange things about Treasure Island. It's obviously, well, the... I don't know, maybe one of the drawbacks, little as I want to criticise, was essentially a children's book, but... You know, it's quite one-dimensional in that all the all the good guys are in the positions of authority, and all the nasty bad guys are these up, upstart rogues who come from nowhere. I suppose Jim's the one exception, isn't he? This uh, innkeeper's yeah. son, but he's yeah. treated he's treated really well by everybody who's sort of like above him, if you like. 
Yeah, and yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't imagine that's happened to a lot of these other guys. <laughs> yeah, um, it'd be fair to assume that your average pirate is not somebody who's made a dispassionate decision to run away to sea, having been raised in a loving home. You know, like, <laughs> probably victimised by a society basically from moment one, I would say, and that's how you end up being a pirate. <laughs> uh, now, Jim beaches the, the ship, but does really well. Considering we were talking a few cha- a few parts ago about how the um like the the captain and his crew of sort of was it six or six to eight loyalists weren't yeah. sure about being able to sail this ship properly. Um <laughs> a, a teenager <laughs> and a wounded pirate seems to be able to sail it just fine. Yeah. Um, so they get they get into this anchor anchorage uh quite skillfully and they see this big there's a there's a shipwreck um already already on the in the bay. And as the as the ship's beaching, Jim gets so excited and distracted that even though he knows this guy wants to kill him, he kind of forgets for a minute. I think, yeah. and I kind of, I kind of didn't, I, I didn't feel that that was unrealistic or that that was any no. sort of yeah. bad comment on Jim because I think part of it is they've just managed to get this ship in together, this sudden like moment of teamwork, and I suppose it would, you would let your guard down a little bit without really thinking about it. Oh, so, he, I, particularly as a 14-year-old, of course you would. You know, you'd just be so caught up in it, I think, that that was really realistic. Also, mm-hmm. quick way of getting dead. But I believed it. Yeah. Um, so Jim lets his guard down for a minute, and just in time, he um, he, he spins around to see Israel hands advancing on him. Jim dodges and, and runs. He's got his gun. He pulls his gun out. <laughs> and like he says, say bye bye. Pulls the trigger. <laughs> he doesn't though, does he? He says very well or something. You know, he says something much more better, better bread than your average private eye would. <laughs> click click bang bang, mother. No, he doesn't say that. <laughs> but he pulls the trigger. The gun won't fire because he hasn't loaded it. It's like oh shit, why didn't I do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this moment where he turns out he's got guns on him. And he didn't mention that when he was looking at the guy nefariously hide a knife about his person for the purpose of attacking him. Yeah, yeah. You think that the moment he thinks I'm gonna, I'm gonna load these, gonna load yeah, these yeah. You'd yeah. be like, hang on a moment, <laughs> I've got two hand cannons here, sorted. <laughs> Score. Uh, so Jim can't believe it. Um, and as as Israel Hans is advancing on him, the deck tips wildly as it's beaching. So they, they sort of all fall down in a tangle of limbs, including including uh, Red Cap, Fred Durst, sort of falls into them as well, his body. Um, Jim shim, up, shinnies up the mast, not like a monkey, just as quick as he can go, he's up there. And um, he has time, he's up there so quickly, he has time to reload the pistols, because Israel Hands, although he had the upper hand, he's, he's, um, he's still injured, so he's, he's slowly climbing the rigging. He starts climbing up, and Jim sort of just like points the guns down now. He's like, freeze, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> He's brilliant, isn't it? Properly, properly, like kind of, do you feel lucky? Huh? But instead of doing it on like a kind of, you know, instead of the okay corral, you've got the dust and the the uh, tumbleweed blowing in the background. None of that. What's happening is they're, ha- they're basically doing it while sharing the same extremely narrow plank of wood hanging yeah. out over the sea. Great, great place to set a set, a, uh, a set to like that. I think he throws Israel Hans's, um 
quote back in his face as well that says, you know, and dead men don't bite, do they? And, uh, oh! and that's the one where he's got it, he hasn't got a mate. Because you need somebody behind you whose job is to go, oh, shit! <laughs> Owned. You need somebody who can be that hype man for you in a moment like that. And he must have just sort of paused and tried to do it for himself. You know, keep one eye on his rail hands, but just sit there and go, score. <laughs> so we have this tense standoff. Um, and Israel Hans just, he's said this before when he's been on the ship, that um, he's had no luck um, ever since joining this expedition, um, practically. And um, and now he says, oh, I've, I've still just got no luck, I'd have had you um, if it wasn't for the um, for that lurch before. Just just bemoaning his, um, his lack of luck. And then he ends it by saying, but I'll have to strike. And... Suddenly, there's this movement, and he he throws his knife, and it pins Jim's shoulder to the mainmast. As that happens, um, Jim, both Jim's guns go off. He just fires instinctively, and Israel Hans falls into the sea below. <laughs> Arse over tit. Arse over tit. Well, <laughs> I, I I quite like the thing with um. With the idea that, like, first of all, it's a classic fake-out. Isn't it a classic fake-out? It's like, oh, Jim, lad, we were both doomed. Surprise! Yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. perfect. It's, like, it's, it's great stuff. But I also sort of love that he can do this while hanging off, like, a, you know, kind of, a, like I say, a plank, basically, at a weird mm. angle, hanging out over the sea. He can be, he can be both mortally injured and hanging off a plank. And deceptively, kind of, you know, woozy and kind of getting him, get, you know, tricking him, and able to throw a knife such that it can pin a guy to a piece of wood. I total don't know. Badass. Total yeah, badass. total badass. That. Exactly that. Yeah, exactly. I do have to give him that. Although I am quite glad that total badass can still be beaten by panicky teenager when push comes to shove <laughs> if panicky teenager has two loaded guns yeah <laughs> that's true that's true uh chapter 27 pieces of eight israel hans sinks for good um <clears throat> he's done uh jim nearly faints um partly down just the fact he just realized he just killed a man um and it's yeah. sort of a similar um a similar sort of feeling he had to when he saw Long John Silver um, killed that guy at the start. He's still very um, young, obviously, and he's just, just dealing with this. Yeah. Um, because the first person he's actually killed. Yeah. Um, he comes to and sees the knife in his shoulder. He sort of shudders. <clears throat> I think he tries to remove it. He can't. Yeah. But then I think he does just enough to almost remove it. Then when he shudders, it actually just falls out because um, it's only pinned him by sort of the very like fleshy bit of his shoulder, this little end of it. Yeah. Um, climbs down, gets rid of O'Brien, red cap, um, by throwing him overboard. He does say, Jim, um, he, red cap's now sort of basically bent over the um, <laughs> bent over the edge of the ship. And Jim <laughs> says, in that position, I could easily have my way with him. And I was like, well, where are we going with this? <laughs> yeah, this is one of the places where you think, uh, okay, is this about to turn into sort of weird fan fiction i um i actually had i had a moment like this before the first time i tried to read moby dick if you'll forgive me a a, a digression for a moment 
Yeah. Moby Dick, great classic of world literature, obviously, uh, which I've still never read because I tried to read it once, but when I was a student and I found a copy of it online, I found like a text copy of it online, <laughs> I wanted to read it. And I don't know whether the original Moby Dick features a fairly hardcore sex scene in the first chapter, but I'm guessing that it doesn't. But it was it was like a pitch perfect language parody of the early like of the you know, whatever Victorian era Nantucket kind of speech. And so it was flawless. But then it was describing this like incredibly graphic gay sex scene between two sailors. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like I did should is this I don't think this is real. I, I don't think this this is this is not real. I'm going to stop. I'm going to go away. And the thing is that I'm currently reading um, Treasure Island because it's out of a copyright. I've got it as an ebook. And so yeah. there was a moment just there where I was like, "Not again! Not again! No! 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 Well, I'm not. I've, we've not taken a, an incredibly well disguised left turn into slash fiction, have we? Please no. Yeah. Um, so so Jim. Uh, throws Fred Durst overboard. He sinks to the bottom of the sea um, next to Israel Hans, the guy who killed him. Um, evening comes in, and uh, Jim does his best to sort of try and secure the ship. There's only so much he can do because, as we say, some idiots cut the anchor off, so he doesn't <laughs> um, And then he heads back to the stockade, <clears throat> and he's uh, feeling very pleased with himself now. He can't wait to get back to the stockade and go, hey, guys, guess who's just got the Hispaniola back? <laughs> and they have like, Way. yeah. Um, it takes him a while to get back to the stockade. He creeps through uh, dusk and into the night. He sees um, a campfire in the distance, over in the area where Ben Gunn um, is, and he thinks it's. Um, he's surprised that uh, Ben is being so like lackluster with um, <laughs> making it clear where he is when there's so many pirates on the island. Um, can I can I just just stop in here with his idea of going through the woods at night on a desert island? Yeah. Have you ever had occasion to be in the woods in a place where there's no electricity at night? Yeah, it's dark. Yeah. The last thing you choose to do is try and bushwhack a way through the woods <laughs> back towards where the guys you know probably are. Almost <laughs> certainly, I hope. You don't do that because you will get dead. And that just goes completely unexamined here. Jim goes, well, I knew roughly where they were, so off I walked into the gathering gloom of the uninhabited forest. Like, where the, the, mo- the most positive thing that could happen to me would be that I would find the armoured encampment full of my friends who were very twitchy and heavily armed, so they <laughs> shot me. That is the best thing you can hope for at the end of that walk. Personally, I would have slept on the beach and tried it the following day. Yeah, you just think about that as he gets close to the stockade. He's like, actually, this would be pretty bad if I turn up expecting to go, hey, I've got the Hispaniola back, follow me, and I just get a bullet in the face, a musket in the face for my trouble. <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, so he's, he's, he sort of he approaches very cautiously. Um, there's a big fire burning by the stockade. Um, Jim considers this unusual because um, the captain said no fires. Um, but approaches the stockade nonetheless. Um, and he hears a lot of men snoring, so therefore assumes that all is well and um, all his mates are just in there asleep. Um, so, so he sneaks in and he's going to just sort of lie down next to them and then just be there in the morning when they wake up, um, almost as a little prank. And then uh, he hears 
the a squawk of the parrot going pieces of eight, pieces of eight. <laughs> and suddenly he realizes, oh shit! And yeah. uh, Silver goes, who's that? And before you know it, James caught. <gasps> oh. Dun 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 dun! Shit! Yeah, I like that. Of all the really stupid, ill-informed, poorly thought through tactical missteps Jim has taken in the last five chapters, the one that really fucks him up is trying to go quietly to bed. <laughs> That's the one that really, really screws him about. All of the others cutting a ship loose, fighting with a pirate, you know, walking through a, uh, a deserted forest in the nighttime. All of that is fine. But the bit where he goes, I'm going to have a bit of a kip. That's the one that doesn't work out. <laughs> so the rip roaring adventure continues. Um, I've got to admit, as long as you don't like think too hard about the wider strategic <laughs> decisions being taken by young Jim Hawkins here. It's a it's a it's a good adventure, isn't it? Oh, it's brilliant. I'm I'm absolutely loving this. This is perfect. This is a classic. It's well written. The plot's amazing. Moves along at a fair old whack. Great action scenes, tension, and a character that I can laugh at at great length. It's beautiful. It's everything I want in a novel, man. <laughs> so next week we will move into the final part of Treasure Island as Jim is captured by dun, uh, dun, Long dun, John dun. Silver and the Pirates. Also, what's happened to the rest of these guys? They're yeah. all at the stockade last time we heard. Yeah. So, I'm looking forward to it next week. Yeah. If you, But next week, of course, um, the book will end, so we'll also do our reviews. So this is your chance to get your review of Treasure Island into us. Try and keep it brief. We don't want to read out a massive load. But um, if you send us a few lines of what you thought of the book... It's sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. That's sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can get us on Twitter at sharkliveroil. Until then, Dave. Until then, Matt. Be careful out there. Don't go traipsing through the woods at night. (laughs) I will try my best. (laughs) 